Want to become best friends with the single most powerful person in the country? Whether she's a Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter, we'll untie the purse strings and give you the inside track on today's woman. How to capture her attention, grow her loyalty, and create such enthusiasm about your company or product that she spreads the word with her friends and family. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Purse strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Retan, principal at Carmichael Lynch Spong, as she chats with those in the know so your business can grow. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Here's your host, Maria Retan. Hey, good afternoon, and welcome to Purse Strings. I am Maria Retan. It's great to be here, and I'm so glad you could join me. You can catch Purse Strings every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern, and we're going to tell you how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Well, first, let me just tell you right now, I'm a little under the weather weather today, so if I cough a little bit or you hear a little at-chew on the side, Please forgive me, but I think it's important to continue to do the show because I have a great guest on today who's going to be talking about something that I think will really revolutionize your business and has a little something to do with the advent of technology. And so that's some of the statistics I want to share today, um, a little bit about blogging and what people are sharing online about your companies. Uh, Fortune 500 Blogging Wiki says that nearly 10% of all Fortune 500 companies have corporate blogs. And if you don't have a corporate blog, you're probably thinking about getting one. Now, whether or not it's a good idea, uh, that's up for debate. There's lots of ways to do it right, and there's a million and one ways to do it wrong. Uh, but believe it or not, according to Iconoculture, consumers are already beginning to undergo the quote-unquote everyone's an expert backlash. I don't know about you, but I get exhausted feeling like I have to read like 10, 20 blogs a day. Otherwise, I'm not going to be up on the latest information or what's going to be written about my client's businesses. And if I miss it, oh, my goodness, it's going to be the end of the world. Well, I think I'm not the only one. And if you're feeling like me, uh, rest assured that you're not the only one. Um, in fact, a lot of online readers are starting just to shut it off. And they're turning instead to people who have uh, professional background, life experience, and have some type of certified chops. In other words, they want an informed opinion, not just any old yahoo out there who wants to write anything that they feel like writing. So if you're a company that sells a product, you know, align it with a trusted ambassador or somebody who has some authority to back their opinion up. Or if you sell a service, figure how um, to make your, you know, your customer feel like the expert. He or she oftentimes have more information inside their head than we give them credit for. Some more data that I found to be interesting this week is the University of Massachusetts at Dartmouth, their Center of Marketing Research, went and surveyed companies uh, from the top 500 and found that podcasting had an adoption rate of 11%. That was the lowest amount when it came to social media. 33% of message boards, 27% of social networking, and 19% for blogging. Um, Getting back to that customer fatigue that I talked about and consumers feeling like there's too much out there for them to read or to care about, frankly, according to Yankelovich this past year, they found that customer reviews on websites only ranked at 27% as having a great deal of confidence. People really don't put a lot of weight behind customer reviews. Um, and as far as too dang many people out there giving their opinion, 
88%, according to Yankelovich. So rest assured that um, blogs are important, social media is important, message boards, et cetera, all important. But more and more, consumers out there want to be hearing from people who have an informed opinion and who know what they're talking about. Well, that leads me to today's purse profile, and I'm going to bring up one that we've talked about before, but I think in light of today's discussion, it really is even more relevant. It's the Prada Professional. This is uh, an influencer woman uh, because of her um, life experience and also the amount of money that she carries around. In fact, her median household income is $150,000. Average age is mid to late 30s. She's going to be married. Um, she's going to be, of course, a college graduate, and all of them are going to be working women. They want to be fashionable. Um, they feel like their looks are important. Their possessions are rewards for all the effort, all that work time that they put in. They are workaholics. They see themselves as so. They're happy with their standard of living. They like to solve problems. They feel like they're good at it. But it's not all about work. They want to have some type of balance, and home is very important to who they are. They really like home decor, and they look for ways to improve their home, um, which leads me to my guest for today's program, Martha Rogers. Martha is the founding partner of Peppers and Rogers Group. She's a business guru, a noted speaker, and the author of eight, count them, eight business books. Her latest and eighth book is out just this month, literally just out, guys, so this is hot off the press. It's Rules to Break and Laws to Follow. Uh, Martha Rogers co-authored this book with Don Peppers, and the focus is on what innovation and trust mean for competitive differentiation and long-term, long-term being the key here, success. So stick around. Martha's up next when purse strings come back right after the break. Okay, time for something we can all relate to, shopping. Purse strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. How do you choose the right affiliate network to partner with? The answer is simple. MarketHealth.com, where health and wealth connect. Established in 1998 and formerly known as Joe Bucks, the MarketHealth.com affiliate network allows you to market and promote the world's leading health and beauty offers on the net. Start making recurring income and the highest payouts in our industry. Choose from over 50 of the hottest selling offers, ranging from herbal supplements, skincare, vitamins, beauty products, weight loss, and much more. Sign up for free at MarketHealth.com and start making money today. Fishing in Costa Rica is going to be awesome. Amen, bro. Now that Value Click Media netted Fast Click, we've got one of the largest online advertising networks fishing us for big bucks. You know, while we're out catching snapper. Hey, Steve, you're coming too, right? No, I'm still using BannersRUs.com. I can't afford to be away. You've got to work with Value Click Media. I've got this great account manager who's easy to work with, and they have access to the best advertisers and earn me high rates. Don't worry. We'll bring back pictures. Yeah, terrific. Visit Value Click Media now and click on Solutions for Publishers for more details. Value Click Media. Hey, what are you reading? Revenue Magazine. It keeps me up to date on everything in performance marketing. Yeah, I get all my information online. <laughs> I don't see a computer next to your boogie board there. Well, I've got a regular magazine here. <laughs> Revenue Magazine is the only hard copy magazine that covers affiliate marketing techniques, search technologies, online fraud prevention, and interactive advertising, branding, and marketing. My magazine's got pictures. Revenue Magazine has everything for online marketers, affiliates, merchants, agencies, and networks. And you can read previous issues, blogs, and more at RevenueToday.com. Wow, mine's got a centerfold. Revenue Magazine, the performance marketing standard. For more information, go to RevenueToday.com. 
Affiliate marketing is changing rapidly. Stay ahead of the trends with Affiliate Marketing Insider. Chris Hanger, Vice President of Affiliate Marketing at Performix DoubleClick. What can we expect out of affiliate marketing this year? Over time, we've seen people wonder if the demise of affiliate marketing is coming, and, and I certainly don't believe that. The nuances, the types of specific affiliates and affiliate publishers do change, and, and we expect further change. Affiliate Marketing Insider, Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. WebmasterRadio.fm is now on Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. Get out your spray paint and put your graffiti on our wall. Get all the details on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage. First Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And welcome back to Purse Strings. I'm so glad you could join me. Martha Rogers is on the line today. She's with, Pop, with Peppers and Rogers Group. And she's a business guru, speaker, and author. And her latest book with Don Peppers is called Rules to Break and Laws to Follow. And I have to tell you, I cannot wait to read this cover to cover. I haven't yet because it's just out, Martha. So thank you so much for being on today. I'm delighted to be here. We're very excited about the new book. Oh, you should be. I know all your books have been major hits, and I know this one's already getting some acclaim. In fact, I read that it's been named to Microsoft's Executive Leadership Series, so congratulations on that. That's got to be great news. Mm -hmm. Um, The book sets up the challenge of how businesses can beat the crisis of short-termism. For those of us, uh, including me and those listeners out there, can you talk a little bit about what short-termism is, Martha? Whether companies call it that or not, most companies have to deal with it, and that is, is this. At the end of every quarter, we've decided on some kind of numbers that are our goal. And short-termism refers to the idea that you'll do anything to make those numbers. Now, in some cases, if, you're in, if your company's not in very good shape, then you probably have to make numbers just to make payroll. And that's a different problem. But if you're a, a company that's fairly healthy, then... Uh, in many cases, what happens is that in order to make this quarter's numbers, we see companies that are sacrificing their future. So they make this quarter's numbers at the cost of the future instead of making this quarter's numbers while they're building their future. You know, that it sounds like something I know a lot of people struggle with, a lot of companies struggle with. But how do we get to this point where we're so focused on the short term and not focused on the long term? What happened? Well, uh, let's blame Wall Street. They're having a bad moment <laughs> right now anyway, so uh, we could be thinking about them. Let's blame them. <laughs> so, well, and, you know, maybe with good reason, because what's happened is that they've, uh, they've used a number of measures for years that have sort of worked for all of us, return on investment, return on earnings, uh, price-to-earnings ratios, uh, that, you know, all those sort of traditional measures that accountants know and love and that finance people love to, to bandy about. And, and the uh, investors have demanded as a measure of whether or not a company is successful. The only problem is, is that all of those are lagging numbers, and they're not 100% accurate. And sometimes the religious adherence to making those numbers has led companies to do things that are if not downright criminal, because we've seen that happen, uh, at the very least, sometimes just tacky and, uh, and isn't good for the environment, isn't good for uh, customers, isn't good for their own employees, isn't even good for the investors, really. 
but they do it because they're under such pressure to make this quarter's numbers or lose their jobs or not get their bonuses or something else. So we've sort of done it to ourselves. Yeah, I guess one of the better examples of that would be Enron, wouldn't it, Martha? I mean, we've seen yeah, it all around, but Enron would be one of perfect example of a company that just did all kinds of things to make themselves look good in the short term, even though they were building their uh, castle on air. Yeah, it looked good, didn't it, from the outside? Yeah, it did for, <laughs> but for a minute. But not so great from the inside, not very healthy. That's right. And, um, and part of the indication of the fact that it wasn't healthy was the way they thought about their customers. They thought of customers as idiots and chumps and... And, uh, and they, they, they weren't really there to help their customers improve their lives in any way. They were just there to, to really get money from these people. To profit from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to feed off of them. And, and then right. now more than ever, we really, as companies, we can't afford to do that because the consumer out there has such a powerful voice. And, and it's coming more and more through the tool of technology. Can you talk a little bit about how technology is kind of aided and abetted the short-termism philosophy that many companies have today? Well, it's interesting because I think that the, uh, the, the technology has made it easier for us to record numbers and, and produce results and, uh, and get these measurements out to ourselves really fast. But interestingly enough, I think the same technologies are also going to help us fight short-termism because the uh, Internet and you know, the, the, the kind of uh, interactive and uh, con- connectivity uh, capabilities that we have now are so much greater that if you are a company and you make a mistake, then your reputation is going to be tarnished in minutes among huge numbers of people, and it's going to remain that way for years and years and years. I heard somebody say, you can't ungoogle yourself. That's so, right. It's a great way to describe it. That once you've gotten a bad reputation, it's going to be very difficult to undo that. And lawyers won't be able to do it for you. Nobody's going to be able to do it. So that means it's more important than ever for companies to act fairly and to play fair and do right and, and, uh, and to, to build the kind of reputation that they're comfortable with online. Do you think that um, technology, while it's helped get us to the situation, and you say now it's going to help get us out of the situation, do you think it's maybe one of but one tool to break the cycle of short-termism? There's other tools, of course, I'm sure, that you would suggest that companies take up. We do think that there are some important additional tools. For one thing, we think that part of the problem is, is that companies have been able to measure for a long time how much money they make right now from customers. That's uh, that their earnings, uh, we, we look at how much it costs to use the money that makes that happen, that's return on investment. But what we haven't looked at is something that's at least as important and maybe even more important, and that is how scarce customers are. It's hard to get capital, but mm-hmm. for most healthy companies, it's even harder to get another paying customer and another one and another one without merely swapping them out with our competitors, so just creating churn. But really to get additional customers is very hard. So instead of just thinking about uh, our return on investment, we should also be thinking about our return on customer and whether or not we're making the most from every customer we have by being uh, creating the most value for each of the customers we have. Because we know that customers, once they become loyal, many of them will remain loyal if they feel like that the companies just recognize them, you know. And I, I know there are a lot of companies out there who are doing a good job at what you're talking about, getting that return on customer. Can you share some examples with our listeners today about the ones that you really think are doing a great job? 
Well, I think that they're the companies that are, are ready to build trust deliberately. They've built uh, cultures of trust. We talk about the things that you need to do this. this is, these are the companies that tend to build cu- uh, trust among their employees as well as their customers who tend to be innovative about the ways they relate to the human beings in their world, that is the customers, the employees, the shareholders, and not just innovative in terms of coming up with new products. And they also are the ones that are building deliberate cultures that put the customer at the front. Siebel, for example, in uh, Germany is a very interesting company because of, uh, one of the executives there carries a folding chair around with him. And every meeting he pops this folding chair out and people say, well, what's that? Do we need to bring more seating in here? And he says, no, this is, uh, this is the cust- our customer's chair. So don't say anything mm-hmm. in this meeting unless you want the customer to hear it. And most executives, if they were to know that a human customer was sitting in the room, would speak differently. And, uh, and so I think that what we, what we see is the opportunity for these companies like Siebel and like uh, uh, Royal Bank of Canada and USAA Insurance in the U.S. and Toyota. What they're really doing is building a, a culture that really does take the customer's point of view and asks, gee, how would we, what would we think is fair if we were the customer? I mean, how would we want to be treated? And that goes a long way toward creating the kind of value that, that will serve you well in the short term and the long term. And that customer mindset really comes out in a lot of different ways, doesn't it, Martha? Everywhere from online experience on the corporate website to the in-store experience to the communications. I mean, it really has to permeate all touch points, doesn't it? Right, and I'm glad you brought up the word experience. That's a pretty hot topic right now in uh, marketing arenas, even management arenas. And I think that uh, in many cases, customer experience is thought of as a sort of bit of theater, which is great. That's, That's fine. But really, the best customer experiences come from putting yourself in the customer's shoes, remembering things like the fact that the customer doesn't work for you. I, I just cringe when I hear companies say things like, oh, I'm sorry uh, that we did that. If you'll just bring that back, we'll be able to fix that for you. Well, what right. time would I use for that? And who's going to pay for the gas for that? And, you know, I'm not on your payroll. Why would I work that hard so that you can do the right thing? You should have done it the right time, the first, the right, the first time, you know? Right. Why, why am I paying for that somebody. Right, and if it's going to cost somebody for you to correct your mistake, it shouldn't be me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so we, there are a lot of ways that companies right now are all the time violating their customers' trust, and we're just sort of amazed at that. Um, you know, every time, you know, when it, and they're not playing fair. It's just not sort of reciprocal. You know, if the telemarketer calls me at, at work during the day, I'd like to say, well, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you right now, but if you'll give me your home phone number, I'll call you at dinner time, and then we can... <laughs> I love <join> that. discussion. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, there's just so many examples like that where, you know, you, you make a mistake at the bank and, and the bank makes you pay an arm and a leg for it and take a lot of time to solve it. If they make a mistake, then you still have to take a lot of time to solve it. They don't pay you a penny. So exactly right. It, and they end up just the not there. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and I think it's um, trying to figure out what it is your customer wants and responds to and then put implementing that, um, that seems like such a challenge for so many companies. And, but those companies that realize this, you know, they eventually, I think, they do want to change. They just may not know how. So, Martha, right. we're going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, we're going to talk a little bit about those companies that want to change. 
that maybe have realized that they're not doing business the way they should be doing business. But the question I have for Martha is, that's all fine and good, but with all this information out there, you can't un-Google yourself, as Martha says. Can they really change? Is it possible? We'll talk to Martha about that when we return with more purse strings in just a moment. Okay, time for something we can all relate to. Shopping. Purse strings will be right back after these messages from our advertisers. Welcome to our website. Website traffic isn't about paying for clicks. Okay, so I guess we're going to wait until everyone shows up and then we'll... Uh, um... It's about having the right content. So while you're searching for more traffic, the folks at InfoSearch Media are creating the content people are searching for. With InfoSearch Media, you can get more traffic for less money than PPC. So the next time you need to speak to your customers... Welcome to our website. <laughs> searching for you. InfoSearch Media. Get content that really clicks. Can you believe how long it takes to order food here? Uh, here we go. Excuse me. She's not even looking over here. Great service is hard to come by. Whether you're sitting at a bar, restaurant, or creating effective search advertising campaigns. Um, excuse me. I think we need to go somewhere else. It's easy to feel forgotten, especially when your advertising budget is on the line. LookSmart serves up to 400 million queries a day with a side of the best customer service in the online advertising industry. Hi, how are y'all doing today? What can I get you folks to eat? You were right. This place is so much better. LookSmart, premium and performance advertising solutions. The whoring of Facebook for promotional purposes continues with the WebmasterRadio.fm Facebook fan page. Join our fans by clicking the Facebook logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm homepage and keep up to date with all the latest. Become a fan on Facebook. Are your domains working hard enough for you? Now, park your portfolio at RevenueDirect.com to maximize your earnings on traffic. With RevenueDirect's proven domain monetization service, you'll experience better payouts, more options, and smart optimization. Sign up free now at RevenueDirect.com. It's that easy. RevenueDirect. Make more money. Period. This is Market Edge. Paul Gillen. He writes a social media column for B2B Magazine and his new book, The New Influencers. Tell us about your book. It's about how influence works in an environment in which everybody is essentially equal. Anybody can talk. Anybody can say whatever they want. There are no rules, no governing bodies, no standards boards. And yet out of this, a remarkably sophisticated system of governance is emerging that is really something I think marketers need to understand. Market Edge with Larry Weber. Tuesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And on demand after the show inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. First Strings is back with the inside track on Today's Woman. Here's your host, Maria Retan. And welcome back to First Strings. I'm joined today by Martha Rogers of Peppers and Rogers Group and the author of a brand new book out just this month, Rules to Break and Laws to Follow. And Martha and I have been talking a little bit about uh, what she sets up in the book called Short-Termism, Companies' approach to their business, which hasn't been a healthy approach and hasn't been a successful approach. It ends up imploding at some point. And, Martha, you were talking a little bit earlier about companies really need to be thinking about instead of return on investment, they need to be talking about return on customer, thinking about the customer and all that they do. You know, what if companies have kind of woken up and said, you know, we're not really doing business the right way. We need to change. Um, we realize we've made this mistake. Do, do you think it's possible for them to change? I mean, there's so much at risk with changing, especially with the, the attention that Wall Street gives these companies. 
there is, but there's an even greater danger in not changing, Maria, because, in fact, that's why we wrote a whole chapter on the uh, idea of restoring trust and what you have to do to restore trust if you think you're probably slipping down that slope of uh, making customers wonder whether you're a good guy. But, um, but when we look at the companies that are addressing these issues, they're really out in front because... If you if you want to change, you have to all the time be really looking at the way you make money and the way you pay money to your employees, what you reward them for. And uh, many companies, when they do that honestly, will find out that they're really making money only when their customers are not paying attention or are not being smart for themselves or uh, otherwise... You know, not really, they're not always doing what's best for customers because they haven't figured out, the companies, how to make money and do what's best for customers at the same time. And those companies are the most vulnerable to somebody else coming along. That's why Netflix was able to take 2 million very valuable customers away from Blockbuster before Blockbuster finally said, oh, I guess we don't have to charge late fees. (laughs) <laughs> and then, you know, and and in many cases, uh, if you are looking at your company and you're saying what business are we in, and you're answering that question with the name of a product or a service, then you're probably still in the old mode and not in the new mode yet. So if you want to get customers to think about something besides price, then you have to think about how to make their lives better. And you you use information about them. There's a guy in Connecticut who. Um, uh, has a store, Stanley Korshak, and he uh, he basically manages wardrobes for men. So his his clothes are not the most expensive or the least expensive, but if you're one of his customers, he's measured you, and uh, every now and then he'll you know you can call him and say I'm going on a trip. I've got three days of meetings and two days of golf. He says fine. Here's your packing list. Um, you you know pack these things. And I'm going to send over two new polo shirts because you probably wore out the other ones. And and uh, you know so it's it's basically. Uh, and by the way, when you finish with a, an item of clothing, you can give it to him, and he'll give you a charitable tax receipt, tax deduction uh, receipt. I need, I need his number, Mark. I know. I mean, I think he's a woman who's man. Isn't it great? So, you know, does he sell clothes? Well, yeah, but that's not really the business he's in. He's really in the business of wardrobe closet management. And for that, his clients will not be saying to themselves, could I get this shirt or tie cheaper somewhere else? Because... That's not what they're buying from him. That's something else altogether. So we have to ask ourselves all the time, what business are we really in? And is the way we make money good for our customers? Southwest Airlines um, is the only major American carrier that lets you make a, a, a reservation. And then if for some reason you have to change the flight, they figure you have to change the flight. And so they don't charge you a fee. They just check and see whether or not they can accommodate you and what you can do. And yet, interestingly enough, you know, everybody else, you have to change a flight. Oh, my gosh, they're going to charge you $75 or $100. But interestingly, Southwest has a market cap that is larger than all the other American carriers combined. So there's a reason for that, right? Yeah. Does it, does it work out to do this? Yes. We can name case after case where companies that take the customer's point of view, figure out what works for customers, and figure out how to make money from that, not how to make money and then, you know, make customers work with that. 
Yeah, so really it's about figuring out what's valuable to that customer. And in most cases, it's about making life easier for that customer, isn't it, and solving their problems. Being in the the problem-solving business, right? Not the problem-making business. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I love that. A lot of these other areas are in the problem-making business. (laughs) They've been the phone lately. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and if you don't believe that, just check your cell phone bill. Ask those four people at O'Hare who uh, sat there for more than a day. So, um, you know, as far as being loyal customers, though, you know, let's say, um, you know, I have found this company, and they're really great to me. I feel like they really solve my problems. You know, what are customers doing these days that you're finding that they're rewarding their good relationships with those great companies? I mean, besides just purchasing their products and, and, and using their services, are they doing anything else to say, hey, I love these guys? Yeah, they are. And one of the things that they do, we know that the conversation is a good one when it's not only about price. It's fair that it includes price. But if it's not only about price, then that's that's something that customers do that show that they're more that they're more loyal because now it's about something else. It's also uh, a really really important thing that customers are doing these days. So they tell all their friends, and nowadays, of course, they can tell all their friends at once. Uh, they can do it online. They can blog it. They can, you know, uh, they're they're so connected these days. And in fact, the employees are too. So that that is another way that they can do it. And probably the the best way we see customers really um, showing their loyalty is, in addition to buying stuff, is, uh, is really helping out a company on a, on a bad day. <laughs> so you remember when JetBlue Airlines a year ago was, uh, had that really awful day where they stranded oh everybody. Oh, my gosh. doesn't and, remember uh, that. Yeah. CNN was, was there with the cameras. It was horrible. But they, they apologized, and in my mind, they did it the right way. They didn't say, oh, you have to understand it wasn't our fault. Or, they didn't do that. They came on and said, I'm really sorry. Uh, I apologize to both our em- own employees as well as our customers. Won't happen again. We're taking these measures. Here's how we're apologizing. We're going to send this these uh, free flights to customers, and we we really apologize. But that's all mm-hmm. they could do, and there was still a lot of meow, meow, you know, they're, they're they're awful. You know who came to their rescue? Their most valuable customers who got on those blogs actively and said, no, 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 they're a really great airline. Honestly, I'm on them all the time. This is just a bad day. You know, you can't buy that kind of help from a, that you can get that way from an all-volunteer army. No, you really can't. And at the end of the day, we all know that companies have bad days. We all have bad days. I think, right. as, that's right. And especially as, as American quality, I think that if people will just admit that they're having a bad day, we are so right. more likely to forgive and forget, aren't we? I mean, I just right. Think and I, that's something that our research has shown us is that. Uh, if uh, a company makes a mistake, we're likely to forgive it if they'll just apologize for real in a sincere yeah, way. Sincerely. Yeah, the only thing we and won't then not forgive. make it again. Try not to make it again. You know, right. show me that you're not going to try to make that mistake again. You're going to fix it. That's right. I think the only thing we won't forgive, forgive is if, if it is if people are dishonest. If companies are dishonest with us, then customers tend not to forgive that. Yeah. Um, we only have a few more minutes left, but I want to talk a little bit about the climate of innovation that you talk about in the book. Um, you know, we've talked about good relationships. We've talked about keeping your customer hat on. But the other leg of this is innovation. How does a company try to get its mojo back? 
for the lack of a better well, term. It's an interesting thing because that's part of the balance between short term and long term. If you only care about the short term, then you don't have to be innovative because you only care about you know what you do well today. But if you do care about the long term, then you really have to uh, get a bunch of different kinds of people in your company. So that's that's the real value of diversity, right? It's not just the political stuff. It's it's the real need to have young and old and people with different backgrounds and and uh, all kinds of educational backgrounds, things like that. So so that if you have a bunch of different kinds of people with different perspectives coming together and helping to think through the business, the customer's perspective, how this is going to happen, then you're much more likely to have that kind of culture of innovation, which, interestingly enough, is more likely to be fostered within a culture of trust. Right, exactly. And if you're an employee, you want to be working in a culture of trust, right? Yes, You want to absolutely. feel like you're working for one of the good guys. And That's I think right. we, get, we get better workers, don't we? We get more committed. We do. You do, and in fact, it's it's very difficult to get a customer to trust an employee who himself doesn't trust the company you work for. Oh, yeah. I'm not buying that product. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Before we leave, though, I have to say, you know, I think that what we're talking about is just, you're right, building a relationship on trust, and every day that trust is put to test. And um, it seems simple. We know it's hard. But in the long run, it is going to pay off. And and the focus here on long run and long-termism. Can you just share as your last words here today your top three tips for starting the process toward that long-termism philosophy? Well, of course, there's three rules to break and 12 rules to follow, but you'll have to get those from the book. But I'll just give you I'm sorry. If you just want to take these three tips, I guess the first one would be take the customer's point of view. Remember, they're not on our payroll, and, you know, keep that customer chair in the room with you when you're talking. Second, uh, make sure that what you do to make money and the way you pay your employees is consistent with being good to your customers, that those are not antithetical. And third, make sure that you build that uh, climate of trust and innovation with uh, both your employees and your customers. Uh, sounds so good when you say it. <laughs> now if we could just go do it, right? We would all be very successful. Martha, That's thank right. you so much for taking time to join me today. Thank you, I really Maria. appreciate it. Um, for those of you who want to learn more about Martha and her company, the Peppers and Rogers Group, you're going to log on to one to one dot com. That's the number one to one dot com. And of course, you're going to want to read Rules to Break and Laws to Follow. I know you are. So. Check out rulesandlaws.com, rulesandlaws.com. You can also purchase the book on Amazon.com and 1-800-CEO-READ. Again, thanks to Martha today for joining me. Thanks to my producer, George, for a great show. And next week on Purse Strings at 3 o'clock, join me with Mary Van Note. Mary's with Red Consulting, and she's going to talk about the alpha woman And we've all heard about the alpha woman, but what's interesting about Mary's company is the unique approach that puts you, the company, you, the decision maker, at the table with the influencer woman. And when I say at the table, I really mean at the table. So join me next week, 3 o'clock on Purse Strings. Until then, make it a great day.